Right, good, okay. Uh, thanks everyone. So, welcome to Engineering Math uh, Lecture 4. Uh, so, by way of uh, some material before uh, we get on to the uh, computational methods which are the main interest for this lecture, uh, I thought you would like this quote uh, from the famous mathematician uh, Charles Hermite. So, from the 19th century when you were still allowed uh, to write uh, exciting phrases uh, about mathematics. So he was complaining about uh, this uh, function, which uh, some guy called Weierstrass pronunciation had invented. And uh, Charles Hermite uh, was not pleased with the implications of this new mathematics which had been invented, uh, because this function has some nasty properties. He says, Hermite says, I turn away in terror and horror from this lamentable scourge of continuous functions with no derivatives. This is a pretty horrifying uh, property for a function to have, because if you have an uh, intuitive understanding of normal things in mathematics, like a quadratic equation, which is y is x squared, you have a very clear idea that evaluating the function is easy, differentiating the function is very easy, integrating the function is a little bit harder. And with the, the wire stress function, uh, this gets reversed. The, the function itself is this f of x, it's the sum of a to the n cos of uh, b to the n pi x for some specified values of positive a and um, b being a positive odd integer. Anyway, so for the, uh, for the defined values of a and b, or values within the allowed range, uh, the wire stress function looks like this. It's this nasty spiky thing, which oscillates quite a lot, because it's made up from a, an, uh, an inf a sum to infinity of progressively smaller and higher frequency but smaller amplitude um, cosines or oscillations. So the effect of this is that this function is continuous. Um, so everywhere, anywhere, any for any value of x, you can... Uh, evaluate uh, this function. But because of the way it's made up of uh, progressively smaller oscillations, if you zoom in on any bit of it, uh, you um, then look at it in more fine detail, you can resolve that what you thought was just one bend is itself made up of the uh, infinite series of oscillations. So this is the prototype of what would be called a fractal. Um, and because it has, so for any particular point, uh, eventually these oscillations become so small uh, that they tend to they become negligible. So for any particular x value, you could evaluate uh, the wire stress function, but you couldn't differentiate it uh, because the progressively smaller oscillations um, end up would result in you trying to differentiate this thing, and you end up with a result which is the gradient is plus infinity minus infinity, uh, which is not a nice thing to deal with, and in fact isn't. Well, it's not dealt with, dealt with. So this function is not differentiable, uh, but it does have a value everywhere. Um, now, this is um, being difficult to deal with. Obviously, they went on to uh, develop uh, ways of looking at this kind of problem. But uh, in the old days, you were allowed to call anything that you didn't like a lamentable scourge, uh, which I shall try to make use of uh, on any reports that I get given this year that I particularly don't like. But um, I will describe someone's... I'll probably get in trouble if I describe anyone's work as a lamentable scourge. 
Uh, but you have to use more boring language in modern mathematics. Uh, what we've been looking at is uh, stuff of more practical use, uh, because things in reality don't have this nasty uh, math property, even though it's easy to produce in pure mathematics. Uh, we've been looking at how you process data, and we've got to looking at uh, simulations of things where I have a differential equation telling me the rate of change of concentration of some chemical and, I and a starting point, and I want to predict future values of concentrations, or problems like that. Uh, so we've been using numerical methods to solve these ordinary differential equations. Um, we looked at the Euler method and the modified, mod mod modified Euler method. Uh, the Euler method being... Uh, taking your starting point and making a succession of straight line extrapolations using the equation to give you uh, dy by dx, the slope. And the modified Euler method being uh, slightly more complicated, but also based on extrapolating, not from a single slope evaluation, but using two slope evaluations. We showed this had better properties. Uh, tonight I want to finish looking at the Runge-Cutter methods, uh, which are the generalized uh, the generalized principle from which the the modified Euler method is a special case for two points. And I want to look at uh, in something more practically useful and the problems which can go wrong when you have something more practically useful. Uh, differential equations with two variables. I'll talk about a predator-prey model. Um, I'd put up my sort of put up my slide saying so if you want. Um, but you don't have to. If you go to my uh, group uh, GitHub page, uh, GitHub slash quantitative imaging, uh, you can get the uh, the MATLAB code. That's where I actually keep the updated code for my lectures. Uh, I think I've also published, put, put, put some of it on Moodle, but I, I don't promise to update that at all. Um, so you can get that for, my, uh, for this course and for any of the courses that I get around to doing MATLABs for. Uh, I've also, uh, but you tell me if this is useful or not, so I've put the audio recording of the first lecture onto SoundCloud. So, uh, I'm not sure how useful a SoundCloud recording is, because you don't get pictures with it, uh, but it's easy enough to put the MP3 up. So if you have, unfortunately, it's boringly under my name, so you have to go to SoundCloud, look for my name, and then you can listen to the uh, Engineering Maths uh, Lecture 1. Uh, I haven't yet put anything on YouTube, but in principle I might get around to turning these lectures into a YouTube thing. Um, okay. Oh, in terms of this recording, um, so it's, it's me talking, so I, I don't think there's any particular problems with copyright. Theoretically, there are people coughing in the background, so theoretically, if anyone wants to tell me at the end of the lecture that you can't have me coughing in the background, um, then theoretically I'll take it down, but hopefully I'll put it up and people will find it useful. Um, but don't swear uh, in, in my lectures or anything. I'd, I'd be upset anyway, but I'd, I'd be extra <laughs> upset for copyright reasons. Okay, um, so we got to page um, 16 or so on the fourth order runga cutter method. Um, so what do you remember from last time? I'm guessing the next y value on some function y of x, and I have an equation f that gives me the slope dy by dx, and I'm guessing the next y value 
given a step size h along the x-axis by making four slope evaluations, k1 to k4. Um, the uh, Runge-Kutta principle told us that we write down a expression for the... So given these four function evaluations, which are chosen at arbitrary points and averaged with arbitrary weights given by these ten parameters, uh, I write down a Taylor series for what the method will predict for the next y value, and I compare that with some exact algebraic Taylor series for the function itself, and I make them match up to as many terms as possible. Uh, for the fourth order Runge-Cutter, it turns out we can make the Taylor series exact uh, up to and including uh, terms of order h to the power 4, step size or fourth derivative or step size to the power 4. Um, that means the local error is proportional to step size to the power 5, and the total error over some fixed range is proportional to step size to the power 4. A fixed range, uh, if, for a fixed range, imagine that you're going from 0 to 1, so the step size is h and the number of steps is n is 1 over h. Uh, so your total error is also proportional to n to the minus 4 uh, for your um, RK4 method. On page 17, uh, there's an example of using this method for the uh, prototype example that we had. So we had dy by dx was uh, x plus y with an initial point y is 1 if x is 0. Exact solution was this twice e to the x minus x minus 1, uh, which we looked at. We can do that algebraically. I said we could do that using the data book or a lookup uh, engine. We have this uh, algorithm. So it says we can evaluate uh, sloped values, these k1, k2, k3, k4. Uh, these are all things that we can put into the recipe and evaluate, and we can use those four slopes to then make the prediction at the end of the step. But we can, it looks a bit awkward on paper, but it's actually um, pretty, it's very, very simple um, as a computer script. So you get your average slope estimate, and then you predict your future y value. And if we do, so the uh, exact equation, the exact line follows this red curve, and you see that for. Uh, some chosen distance and step size. Your Euler goes horribly wrong. The modified Euler goes wrong. The RK4 method is uh, substantially closer to the truth, as we said that it should be based on it matching more Taylor series terms. So that's good. And if I wanted to look at this problem computationally and say a bit more about it, I would uh, consider doing the same process for um, repeatedly for different numbers of steps n, and I could plot this log-log graph showing error against number of steps, and I'd expect a respectable gradient of minus 4 for the RK4 method, and then I'd say this is probably a pretty good method. Okay. So this is what we do if we have one variable, so um, uh, a single ordinary differential equation. It's not, uh, it's not particularly nasty to deal with. Um, so 
So compare with the Euler method, which is, it's, it, says, it says in the handout, compare with the Euler method, which is very poor in comparison. Uh, if I wanted to get a error of 10 to the minus 7 in this arbitrarily chosen example, I would need uh, in my Euler method to use uh, 10 to the 5 steps. So I'd need to evaluate the function of the slope 10 to the 5 times. A lot of times. Uh, the fourth order Runge-Cutter method, it points out, uh, only requires a single step with four evaluations of the slope. So this is a much better thing to choose, uh, given that we can see we have a uh, an exponential, so a very curved function. Uh, I know that I'm going to be choosing RK4, and, and that it will do very well for, for even a problem that's that curved. Okay, so before I move on to then what we do with two variables, uh, let, uh, let, let me misquote from history, uh, because I enjoy quoting ancient wisdom in order to uh, give... Uh, give credibility to what I have to say. So this is from, uh, this is from Sun Tzu, who says, uh, the victorious general makes many calculations before the battle is fought. The general who loses uh, makes but few calculations before the battle is fought. Thus, in this way, you can see, do many calculations lead to victory and few calculations to defeat? And he says, how much worse? No calculations at all. And this is, of course, terrible advice if you're doing computational maths. Uh, in fact, uh, we've seen that we want to be choosing the RK4 method, which involves very few better calculations, uh, rather than doing lots and lots of calculations poorly chosen. Um, so, there we go. Uh, I, can, I can make even really good quotations uh, become uh, misleading, if I want. Um, what I would agree with him on is that if you're doing a maths exam, uh, it, it, yeah, how much better no calculation at all? You definitely should be doing some calculations uh, in, in your tripos answers in maths. It would be, it would be very surprising if you weren't. Um, so there we are. 2.9, section 2.9, uh, is starts to look at something more, uh, more involved. Simultaneous... Simultaneous first-order ODEs, uh, which gets into uh, the way this topic is going to be practically useful to you, because you probably can just sketch a reasonable function of one dimension, and if you can't sketch it, it's quite possible it's quite possible that that's because it has horrible pathological properties, and maybe your numerical methods don't work on it anyway. What you often can't just eyeball is the solution to cases when you have multiple variables which change over time. Ah, if you're good, you can eyeball two or three, depending on how hard it is. Uh, but you can't eyeball n variables, but the computer can do quite well. So we have this case, we're now going to have dy by dx is f function, which we know. We're given a function of x, y, and z. dz by dx is a different function g of x, y, and z x is the independent variable, and we're given a starting point for y and z at some starting point x0. What do we do with that? Well, there's um, got this Euler method, so there's ah, you can probably just you can probably just say ah, let's just uh, try and apply the Euler method, and this might work a bit uh, to this problem. Uh, we've got a starting point in y and z. We can evaluate a slope of y and a slope of z at the starting point 
do a straight line extrapolation on both of them, guess the next point in y and z, and carry on. Uh, and that would be the Euler method for uh, two variables. The question is, how well will it work? I mean, it could work. It would work perfectly if the functions were straight lines. Um, but let's think about uh, what problems we might have. So let me give you this example problem to think about, um, where you've got x and y, which are varying with time. Uh, x and y are the number of different animals. So imagine that you own a beautiful park, a beautiful nature reserve um, on the savannah. And in this uh, park, you have animals. So, uh, it's part of your biological education. These are animals, and this one on the left is called a baboon, and the one on the right is called a cheetah. And although they look like they're running along together quite happily, this is not necessarily the case, uh, because actually, horrifically, uh, this thing, the, 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 the cheetah, uh, wants to eat the baboon. So this means that if we have a starting point of the number of each animal uh, that we've put into our uh, nature reserve, or we can start to think of it as we're putting it into a, a continuous stirred tank reactor, a number of each kind of animal, and the maths doesn't really mind which it is, and we can try and say, well, left on their own, the number of baboons will vary over time, uh, they will increase exponentially, just what they do, because they'll just sit there and eat the grass, and so you'll have uh, dy, dx by dt is ax, but uh, there will be, sometimes there'll be collisions between a baboon and a cheetah, and, and the collision, the number of collisions will be proportional to x times y. And every time that happens, there's a chance that the cat will eat the other thing. So you have a decrease in the baboon population. For cheetahs, the change in number over time is they increase in population when they eat a baboon by a certain amount. Uh, but they also die out over time because they can't eat grass. So A, B, C, D are a constant. This problem is called a Lotka-Volterra model. And uh, in this example, I've given you some parameters. A is 0.4, B is 0.02, C and D are also up there. Here's two questions I'd like you to think about. Um, well, let me show you a plot of what you get if you apply a numerical method to this. Uh, so I'm applying a numerical method. This is the uh, Euler method. I've got my starting point. Uh, I'm starting off with uh, 80 baboons and 40 cheetahs. I've got those parameters for how they change over time. I'm just evaluating the slope at some t at, uh, at each step, and I'm doing straight line extrapolation to get the future number. And I plot that, and I have uh, this curve. So you've got number of animals on the y-axis, time in units on the x-axis, and you have this... Uh, oscillation, this this oscillating behavior. Um, so baboons are in blue, so here's your starting point. Uh, the baboons generally get eaten, causing an explosion in the cheetah population. Uh, then the cheetah population crashes, then the baboon population rises again. And this looks like some sort of oscillation. Anyway, so uh, what I'd like you to do, what problems uh, does my uh, example have as a biological model? Um, would it be more suitable for modeling microorganism populations in a fermenter, if I had two different microbes that did the same sort of thing? And as a bonus question, which I forgot to write up, uh, this uh, equation, this system has a stable point. 
So there is an initial number of cheetahs and baboons uh, which will remain constant over time. So uh, I'd like you to have a, a couple of minutes to look at to discuss those problems, which will those questions, which will look at the uh, th those will uh, reveal the key elements of uh, solving these simultaneous ODEs numerically. Uh, so please do have a, a talk about that for a couple of minutes, uh, and then see what suggestions you'd like to make uh, in answer to those those questions, and also the stable number, the stable point. Okay. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, so good. Well, so you've had a, uh, you've, you've been considering what will uh, happen with this uh, computational prediction uh, problem. And I've got some questions for you to, for you to answer. So, uh, what uh, what what question? What uh, suggestions would you like to uh, make in answer to these uh, these tasks, which I've put up in the purple text? What do you think? Yes. Well, it's pretty simplified. That's true. So this is the simplest way I could have written down a prediction of what's going on. So what's the problem with that? It might not be realistic. Um, there's a reason this is written down. So it's simple in that what I've written down are uh, constant parameters. And so this, this is a first attempt at writing down a system of equations to describe how two living populations change over time. From a maths point of view, I don't have any problem with the fact that it's oversimplified and realistic, uh, but you're right. From a point of view of uh, correctly uh, managing my beautiful uh, nature reserve, it might not be correct. Um, for example, you might have, uh, you might, maybe your cheetahs <coughs> hunt in packs or something, and so they become more efficient when there's more of them. Things like that. So that's, that's a, a valid point about what's wrong with it as a biological model. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it does, but I have no idea what these units of time are, but maybe. Um, what is the, I mean, the... Again, I don't think that's necessarily... So that may not be a maths problem, but sure. Um, there's a question, are my parameters... So are my parameters, these constant values, tuned to give as realistic a description of what else is... of what is going on as possible, given the limitation that they have to be constants? Uh, maybe I could have chosen better constants. So that's true, and then you uh, would have something that might look more like a couple of sine waves or something. Um, you, that's what you get for these parameters. Uh, did anyone look at the y, the y scale of my graph? So with you starting with uh, 80 uh, baboons and 40 cheetahs. Ah, you should always, you should always, so th this, by the, so you should always make your y-axis big enough to see. Um, 
and you should always eyeball people's y-axes when they put up a graph um, for your inspection. Uh, so let, let me put this another way. Uh, how low does the number of baboons go? It goes to what? Well, you say that, but why does it necessarily... It's a low number. Um, actually, one is good enough for my purposes of what is potentially wrong with that. So, well, that's what you'd think. I, that's, what, that's what I would imagine. And um, especially given this time delay, but more to the point, it's not one anyway. It's actually like 0.01. No. I'm not an expert in the biological sciences, so my original degree is in physics. But you have to ask. So you've got these equations, which describes what happens to animals over time. And, yeah, if it was like thousands of them, then uh, this assumption that they behave like a continuous uh, scalar quantity might be all right. But even I, uh, quoting one of our PhD students, even I as a physicist, uh, have problems believing in the regenerative power of an animal that can go down to 0.01 of an animal and then come all the way back. Uh, because even I, even I know that in biology this only applies to which animal? That's right, the wolverine. No, but do you think... Guys, <laughs> people are fast. No. Um, do you think... Therefore, that uh, this would be a more suitable model for describing the content of a fermenter with two different microbe populations, given this idea. So you'd say yes. Would you say yes? If my quantity was not number of animals, but rather kilograms of bacteria of the two different types. In that case, you'd be happier with the uh, assumption that the equation applies and uh, anything I've made about ignoring individual uh, units sort of disappears and is not a problem. Okay. Um, so you've, you've, you've described to me the two... So we've discussed two different types of problems. One is... Um, one is what I would call... So there are mathematical types of problems. The question is... Um, well, we sort well we've sort of described that. Well, we've previously discussed mathematical problems. The question is, have I inaccurately extrapolated to zero using the Euler method when something actually doesn't go to zero? So, am I using a small enough step size to capture the behaviour of the system? So, am I am I am I numerically accurate? So that's uh, the kind of question that involves really just mathematics alone and we can work out what the accuracy of our method is. Uh, we can also compare the accuracy of our method where we've taken constant parameters which are chosen. Uh, we could compare that with some solution to a system where we have complex equations for the constants A and B, etc. And we can see uh, how much accuracy we're losing by using a more simple set of equations. But the other kind of problem is... 
What am I calling the other uh, model problems which are not maths alone, so sort of uh, uh, relating maths to the real world, or you could call it nat natural philosophy problems, uh, are the equations actually valid um, not only at the initial point where you have these 40 animals and 80 animals, but are they valid over the entire range that your simulation explores? And in this case, uh, it's not particularly. Um, Which order shall I explain this in? Okay, this is called the Atto. So the, the, in particular, in these kinds of population models, uh, this ability for the population to unnaturally recover from some uh, number it couldn't recover from is called the Atto-Fox problem. And this comes from a, a particular... And this comes from someone who did make mistakes doing computational predictions uh, because they had devised a nice complicated model of the population of foxes that had rabies within a geographical area, say, the United Kingdom. And they've divided up the, uh, the country into different regions, and they've set up complicated differential equations with lots of parameters for uh, how much rabies do you have in, a, in, in particular regions. And they set their simulation going, and they found some sort of behavior that was a bit like this. Uh, they found that the Population of foxes with rabies, obviously it's lethal, so it generally crashes, uh, but then it recovers and spikes again. And they found in their computer model that this population, oh, it has an interesting property, that the uh, always there's something which we've captured, they said, about the geography, which has this focusing effect, that the rabies always re-emerges from exactly the same place. Um, so there's something particularly cursed about this location, uh, because of the way uh, the, the geography that we've described. And this is actually rubbish. Uh, what they actually had is that in their simulation, the computer was chuntering along quite happily, uh, dealing with real numbers. And it ended up that uh, it had, all the foxes with rabies died. And except for one of the numbers only went down to not zero, but it went down to uh, 10 to the minus... Oh, what is an Atto fox? Is it 10 to the minus 15 of a fox? It's whatever Atto is. So they'd got down to 10 to the minus 15 of a rabid fox. <laughs> Always in this same region. And this, of course, is a number. So the computer says, oh, this is quite capable of reproducing. Um, so it then recovers in the same place, leading to a wrong... Uh, because they'd done this in a complicated model, they didn't realize they had something as simple uh, as this um, simply obviously invalid qu equation about numbers of baboons in, in the Lotka... Uh, Volterra model. Okay, uh, but so but um, Lotka actually applied this to chemical concentrations. So Alfred Lotka was a chemist, essentially looked at uh, multiple species concentrations in a tank reactor. This guy Vito Volterra was applying it to a similar question about fish populations in the uh, in the Adriatic in the nineteen twenties. Uh, so he was actually looking at an, what he thought was an interesting problem. They thought, well, this is the 1920s. So after the First World War, um, people who had been conscripted but who had been fishing in the Adriatic uh, returned to fishing. And First World War is obviously awful, but it's going to have a silver lining, they said to themselves. Well, the fish populations will have gone back up because we know we've been overfishing them. Uh, so we'll get back to overfishing them and we'll have a boom year. And they discovered, in fact, they had a very poor year indeed. So he was trying to explain this and did so 
in uh, by producing this model and suggesting, okay, well, you've got uh, carnivorous fish, and let me call them vegetarian fish. And with the fishing removed, there was an unexpected... They were, they were being sort of both suppressed, uh, but there was a, uh, a... With the fishing effect removed, he decided there was a swing, uh, first a boom in the carnivore fish, and they ate all of the vegetarian fish, leaving a horribly depleted Adriatic. That explanation is probably wrong, uh, but it was one that was given at the time. The alternative explanation is along the lines of there are these carnivorous fish and the vegetarian fish and they follow each other around the Mediterranean. Uh, and it simply happened that for whatever reason the vegetarian fish had moved on in this particular year and were being followed to the next bit. Um, the predator-prey model does have an algebraic solution, but I can't show it. It doesn't have, it doesn't have a simple algebraic solution, uh, but it does using an analysis I'm not going to show you, it does have a provable property, uh, which is namely that your number of animals uh, obeys a constant orbit. So there's no uh, simple, there's no, what is it, there's no closed expression for the, in this system for the number of baboons and of cheetahs over time. So there's no algebraic expression which involves, say, um, just a finite number of elementary operations like adding together sines and cosines um, but this system does have something called a Hamiltonian um, to give you an idea of what that is if you were to go to a, a nearby hill which has a single hump at the top and I were to walk around it keeping the, uh, the same altitude keeping the hill on my left uh, you can see that eventually I would walk around to the same spot and Repeating this, I would follow con uh, repeatedly identically the same path uh, because I'm conserving my altitude. So a system which has a Hamiltonian has a similar property, similar property to that. Uh, that turns out this equation system does have a Hamiltonian. So the uh, for some starting point, uh, you expect the uh, you expect the numbers predicted in this equation to follow a continuous orbit. I mean, assuming this assumption that the behavior of the system like uh, numbers is correct. Uh, so there are mathematical problems that if I use the Euler method to simulate this and I use a largish step size, well, if I fail to use a very small step size, I get this wrong behavior. I have this prediction that the uh, populations both, they oscillate, but the oscillation builds up uh, exponentially in size. That's simply because the Euler method at these peaks uh, badly overshoots, leading to too high a prediction at the end of each cycle, and wrongly uh, a build-up in the numbers of populations. Uh, this shows the modified Euler prediction, which I say is basically correct, or to be precise, it doesn't go wrong, so it doesn't walk off the true solution so badly, and it does show the, um, the following of the same oscillation repeatedly, which is what should happen for that system of equations. I'm not going to prove anything to you about the Hamiltonian, I'm just saying that there is, uh, it's known that this should be a, a repeated uh, oscillation that's, uh, that's identical um, periodically. Okay, so we've written down these key things. Uh, we've talked about the idea that you can have numerical errors and model errors. And the numerical errors amount to loss of precision, giving you an, an incorrect behavior because you're not accurate. Numerical errors, so math, maths errors can be fixed by using a higher order model. 
or a smaller step size, often, or by not using such a severely approximated equation. Uh, model errors, more fundamental, the question, are the equations true descriptions of the real world? Um, essentially, are my equations valid throughout the simulation, which they're not, if I'm talking about 1% of a four-legged animal. As it's quiet, if you listen to the... Um, I've denoised the audio recording as much as I can, but in these lecture theatres, this, these, uh, these, these projectors produce an unimaginable amount of background noise. So that if you were designing a lecture theatre for audio recording, you wouldn't design it this way. And lecture theatre 3 is even worse. It's like talking in a, a gale. Um, so to some extent you can denoise audio. Um, for which purpose it's nice to have like 10 seconds of quiet on the recording. But it's not perfect. So Anyway. We've talked about these principles for solving real complicated equations. And the bottom of page 18 talks about if I have, uh, if I want to solve this, there's an example sheet question which asks you to do this for two variables y and z. And it asks you to try second order runga cutter, which is a recipe given here. Um, now, I'll label this, but I dare say it might, even though I'm going to annotate this, I dare say uh, lots of people will still make this mistake anyway. Uh, so when your second order runga cutter, you follow this recipe, you work out slopes, two slope estimates for each variable. So slopes k1 and k2 for uh, dy by dx and m1 and m2 for dz by dx. Um, your K1 and your M1 are evaluated at the start point of a step, but then your, your K2, your second slope estimate for Y, is evaluated not just at the Euler estimated end point in Y, but also at the Euler estimated end point in Z. Um, in other words, when you try and apply this second order runga cutter to systems with two variables, uh, do be very careful about well when you get the wrong if you get if and when you get the wrong numbers it's quite possible that you've only looked at the end point for one variable you need to be looking at the end point for every variable to get your second slope estimate um, so to explain that a bit more clearly or to explain that anyway in a different way uh, if you I think it's question six on the example sheet and if you get my example scripts from the uh, Moodle or GitHub. I think I've put in this script, uh, which is what you want to be following for this example question to get the, um, the future values of the function. Um, so uh, maybe it's easier to, um, to download that eyeball the script uh, to see what things you're adding together. I don't know, uh, but you can do. 
Okay. Right, good. So the other way, so the common way in chemical engineering that a simulation is complicated is if you have lots of different numbers that change over time. So in a plant where you have uh, multiple tanks, lots of different chemicals in each tank change concentrations over time, leading to utter confusion as to what's happening. But probably you can predict it with a computer if you are careful about accuracy, I've said, and the validity of the equations. Um, obviously, the same things we said before about unphysical numbers like negative concentrations um, or, or, un, or unlikely zero concentrations, um, those also apply when you have big systems. The other kind of more complex system that you can worry about is a second or higher order ordinary differential equation. So what would you do if you have an equation for some... You've got, you're worried about some function y of x, uh, but I want to... I have an equation for d squared y by dx squared, so acceleration. And I have acceleration, or y double prime, is given to me this function f of x, say, position or something. Uh, no, sorry, x times, say, y position... And the function might also contain a y prime, the speed. So for this kind of problem, you're given d squared y by dx squared is some function f, and you're given a starting point for y naught and slope y naught prime at the initial point x naught. Um, well, this is mildly worrying because we only know how to deal so far with first order differential equations, but that's all right. Uh, because you say a second-order differential equation is really just a compact way of writing two first-order differential equations. So if you have an equation for acceleration and you've got position written down somewhere, you invent the concept of velocity and you don't write down one differential equation, uh, you write down two. So you realize that uh, I've, got I've got y, I'm going to invent dy by dx and call it v for velocity or something and my d squared y by dx squared becomes dv by dx. And in this example down here with 2.10e to 2.10h, uh, my dv by dx uh, is given, it's just minus y. Um, and I also have, I can also invent, I've also invented this dy by dx is the velocity v. So you have to invent the way from going from the notation that you are given to first order first order. ODEs that you know how to solve. Um, if you apply this to this example, uh, I've got an equation 2.10e y double prime, or d squared y by dx squared, plus y equals zero. This is my least favorite way of writing these kinds of equations. Uh, math math mathematicians seem to love uh, adding things up equals zero. Um, I've got two problems with it. So my natural way of writing this is to think the acceleration's on the left and some other stuff is on the right, and then you deal with it. And the other thing to note is that because we're heading off into pureish mathematics, uh, these numerical values uh, seem to have become hideously dimensionless. So that this expression, uh, y double prime, is, my, is equal to minus y. Uh, without bothering to put into something to, uh, to take out the dimensions, this is okay. 
because we're, uh, we've reduced the problem into numbers uh, before we're writing it down. Okay, so having reduced the problem into numbers, uh, then we might go on to try and solve it. And we'll just finish talking about solving these things uh, next time. Uh, but basically, uh, it should be that we write the program for the y and the dy by d time, and we integrate that straightforwardly. And although we know that the exact answer should be a sine wave for this problem, uh, obviously we're going to have accumulating errors. So we'll just uh, finish annotating what those errors are next time, and then go on to something like uh, optimization after that. Okay. Uh, good. Thanks for it there. Next time is tomorrow. Is that right? Okay.